Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, and this is the November 17, 2015 edition of Ask a Leader. Jordan El Grobley, Executive Director of the Marcaz, the Art Center for the Greater Middle East in Los Angeles, returns from last week's appearance to reflect on the coordinated attacks on Beirut, Paris, Baghdad, and the Russian jetliner. Then, Travis Kendrick, Masters of Fine Arts student at UCI, is raising a new crop of thespians at Cloverdale Elementary School through the UCI's Illuminations program. Their poetry, stories, and songs will be presented in a program on November 20th and 21st at the Gillespie Performing Arts Studios. Before the break, let me thank everyone who turned their pockets inside out for our station's fun drive. If you haven't ended up, you still can. Be right back after a short one. Welcome back to the show. My first guest is Jordan El Grobley. If you heard last week's show, you heard a bit from him. He has generously offered to return, or accept the invitation to return one short week later with his uncanny credentials to take measure of what has taken place in the string of massacres, attacks, you, you all pick, fill in the blank, that occurred last week. Jordan El Grobley is the founding director of the Marcaz Art Center for the Greater Middle East. It is in Los Angeles. He is a writer, editor, curator, and uh, p- producer of public programs. Jordan is Moroccan uh, and has French heritage. He has worked toward strengthening Arab, Muslim, Christian, and Jewish relations for many years through both programs and published work. He's appeared in anthologies and periodicals, including the LA Times, Washington Post, Al Jazeera, and Alternate. His activism has received considerable recognition and honors, no doubt, why he's associated with uh, the work that we were talking about last week, American Quran, which is still required attendance uh, there at the Orange County Museum of Art there through the uh, end of February. But I I digress. uh, Jordan El-Grobley received the Local Hero Award from the Foundation for World Arts and Cultures, earned an Annenberg Alchemy Fellowship, and was nominated for the James Irvine Leadership Award. He is the recipient of this year's Rachel Corey Conscience and Courage Award from the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee. Jordan was on the show last week to talk about and with the artist Sandal Berg's American Quran. He's graciously offered to return to this show to talk about last week's series of massacres. He again comes to us from Los Angeles. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Jordan. Good morning, Claudia uh, and your listeners. This part of the show, we congregate figuratively at your marcas on the way toward building a better understanding, because I think that's what this is what our reaction is, that the sort of the vitriol and the bellicose speech and all that kind of thing. It's all about getting clarity and greater understanding to take stock of these massacres that took place, not just in Paris, but Beirut, Lebanon, um, and Baghdad, Iraq, as well as the Russian commercial jetliner. We can also add the the um, the tun- the um, the beach, the uh, oh, which I'm trying to think of which beach setting there, northern Africa, where all those people were slaughtered. 
the uh, in, I was in Tunisia Tunisian, the Tunisian the t- Museum a few weeks ago. Right. So then the yeah. the red three thread being these are piece, places where people are touring, and so the the sort of the soft target of where people want to go and the soft target of taking out a sector to uh, discourage people from going to those places. I, uh, but back to the, the the many places besides Paris that have been hit. I know our campus police is singling out Paris and the flag being flown half-mast this Thursday. Uh, there's understandable dismay in the Middle East that the attacks on them are not getting comparable outpouring of grief. Let's give each place their due, Jordan. Uh, well, yeah, uh, some of which we're, I think we're used to we're used to hearing about uh, suicide bombings and uh, militias and insurgents and uh, uh, coalition forces fighting, uh, you know, the Taliban here and uh, the, um, you know, various uh, jihadi groups in, in Iraq. And so we've become uh, inured. Um, <clears throat> uh, a friend of mine who is, uh, in fact, a refugee from Syria in Los Angeles noted that uh, within, you know, 24 to 48 hours after the Paris attacks, many people on Facebook had changed their um, primary uh, image, banner image, to one that had the red, white, and blue, or blue, white, and red uh, French flag uh, symbology on it. And he said, what about Syria? We've, we've lost 300,000 people. You know, we've, we've dealt with uh, the, the state of Syria, the Assad forces killing us for five years and the Islamic State forces for the last three years. And uh, nobody, nobody's, uh, you know, there hasn't been an outcry. Uh, isn't Syrian blood worth as much as French blood? Uh, so that, that's a Syrian perspective. And uh, I bring that up in particular because, right. you know, that with, with these attacks, uh, now many uh, elected officials are saying that we can't afford to have an open policy for refugees, particularly refugees from Syria and Iraq, right? Right. That's not only in Europe, but in the United States. It's now there, there are, 20, uh, right, uh, 27 governors are saying that in this country, that they're yeah. not welcoming Syrian refugees. So it's really... the. It's it's quite amazing, and that I, my my later talking point was going to be is that the, for the refugees that are uh, making their moves toward a safer haven from this battle-ridden uh, Syrian country, that uh, now they were trying to get over into a safer place before the winter hunker down, but now it's public policy that's going to push uh, push them into a, a tighter squeeze. Yeah. Well, I just want to point out that yes. uh, more than 750,000 refugees have been resettled in this country since 9-11, and not one of them has ever been ar- arrested on domestic terrorism charges. Right, right. You know, so um, I don't think that the refugees are the issue. Um, but let's look at the, what happened in Paris uh, in particular, uh, and of course, uh, noting that uh, there were uh, dozens of people killed in the, in the Baghdad bombings that took place a few hours before the ones in Beirut, and which took place a few hours before the ones in in Paris, the the, the close proximity of these three uh, uh, attacks leads one to conclude that they were coordinated by the same group of people, and that leads me to wonder: Did this uh, young Moroccan that they're looking for now, that they say is the mastermind behind the Paris attacks, did he have the the know-how, the leadership, the funding, the ability to mastermind all this? And you know, when you you look at him and you you read about his background, you have to say there's no way. 
No. So there are a lot of people, at least online, who are asking, uh, you know, very skeptical questions about what happened in Paris. And I've seen the word false flag, the expression false flag attack mentioned several times. And, I, you know, I'm not uh, really a conspiracy theorist, but I think it's only fair to mention what the conversation is, is out there, you know, online. I'm not familiar with false flag attack. What is that telling us? Uh, a false flag attack is when a government arranges to uh, for something that looks like it was the enemy that attacked them. Oh, so that I they see. They have a, a pretext to attack okay. back. And so, for example, in U.S. history, we uh, we said that we were attacked by North Vietnamese forces in the Gulf of Tonkin. Got it. In the early '60s, and that caused Americans to feel like we should. You know, it was an act of war, and we should respond. And it turns out, you know, the CIA admitted later that uh, they engineered the Gulf of Tonkin attack. So we attacked ourselves so that um, to you know get American opinion to support our uh, involvement in Vietnam. And this has happened, oh, you know, over the course of history with almost every country in the world. Um, these you know these attacks. So uh, I'm not I'm not saying that I believe that the French government attacked itself or that it was you know some other nations security services that engineered the Paris attacks, but I, I'm just pointing out that the conversation is a little bit broader than just assuming that uh, that the Islamic State, the so-called Islamic State, uh, was the, the perpetrator, the sole perpetrator of this. And, and we, yes, yeah. and, and I should, yes, go ahead. I'm sorry, I just wanted to, first of all, uh, say that I personally do not agree that it is either Islamic nor a state, uh, and so I, I, I always say the so-called Islamic State, and I'm not alone in that. Um, 120 uh, Muslim scholars released a, uh, a letter, and they sent the letter to al-Baghdadi, the, the presumed leader of this caliphate, ISIS, and they say that, um, you know, point by point, they deconstruct uh, ISIS and its um, activities so uh, one of the uh, leaders of that group, Ahmed Bedir, uh, who's president of United Voices of America, uh, also says, please don't call them an Islamic state because they're not a state and they're not a religion. Uh, so, I mean, we can get into a discussion about how Islamic the Islamic state is, uh, but I, w- I would say that it is not, it's neither Islamic nor, nor a state, and it's been officially uh, repudiated by some of the, the biggest uh, Muslim scholars in this country. Well, I do want to get into vocabulary, and I do have a a, a reading list so that we can get uh, some clarity, because I, I don't think it's even that hard to get the clarity of what's going on uh, so that we can get around that conspiracy theory cottage industry that's generating discussion about the false flag attack. I think that that uh, has that there's so much more we can understand that can dis, dis, uh, you know, Vow, disavow that kind of a, an explanation. So I don't think we let's let's go to the vocabulary that you're talking about. Some journal. There was one Arab analyst that was very concerned about Hollande's use of Daesh in his proclamations of war uh, this last couple of days. So what term do you use, Jordan, to refer to the entity that's taken taken on this um, this? I'm going to call them the, the military a paramilitary guerrilla group. Well, I call them Daesh, which is what they call themselves, and, and that means uh, it, it's an acronym. It stands for Al-Dawla, Al-Islamiyya, Fi-Iraq, Wa Al-Sham, you know, the forces of Islam of Iraq and, and Syria. And so they call themselves Daesh. Let's just stick with that, since Islamic State is a little too Orwellian. Okay, okay. And then the, um, 
are there other terms here that I, I think everybody's using, um, too, too many people are using the jihadi word, and I, I think that's got to be relegated to a very specific purpose that deals with how the religion is observed, and we can, we can use guerrilla, we can use terrorists, we can use uh, other kinds of uh, you know, paramilitaries and all that. Well, I, I'm concerned about the, the use of, of that, uh, how that's been appropriated, and it's, made it, it's muddied the understanding of Islam much more difficult. Right. Well, I, I understand what you're saying. There's a part of me, though, because I'm, I'm, I'm a French national as well, Yes. That uh, that sees these attackers as jihadis. Uh, they're self-defined uh, jihadis, but we can we could you know split hairs over uh, you know whether their interpretation of what they're doing is really uh, suits uh, what's meant in Arabic by jihad. Jihad, by the way, is a common uh, first name for men and all over the Arab, yes. Arab world, and uh, it doesn't mean somebody who's you know at war with everybody else or anything. Um, so uh, I, I don't know uh, the the young men who, by the way, all you know, all the perpetrators, all the suspected perpetrators in, uh, of the attack in Paris were under the age of thirty. Right. Um, five of the eight so far uh, are identified as French nationals, uh, and so this begs the question: when the French pre- president uh, François Hollande says that uh, France is going to be at war, yes and triumph over the barbarity of Daesh and going to fight the barbarians, well, what does that say if five of the eight uh, attackers were French citizens? Who are you going to attack? <clears throat> and so, the, you know, the whole conversation now is, it, it, are we dealing with a fifth column? And, of course, France has the largest <clears throat> excuse me, Muslim population in Europe, uh, some five million uh, Muslims mostly North African, uh, <clears throat> what's going to happen to that population? How are the French going to... I mean, they already have a difficult time with them. You know, a lot of them live in um, poor um, suburbs and don't... <clears throat> excuse me, they don't have access to the same... They feel they don't have access to the, the same uh, level of uh, equality and services and, and jobs that uh, mainstream, mainstream French uh, people do. Well, yes. Go, let's let's talk about that um, demographic. To the there, what ten percent of the French population now uh, are Muslim. Uh, to the extent to which Muslims are integrated in European communities, especially in France, uh, let's talk about that that extent. And um, I don't know whether the our heterogeneous American society has anything to. Uh, offer in the way of uh, addressing the, um, and solving some of this uh, integration issue. Well, the, the Muslim population in the United States is much, much smaller. It's very, really a small minority, so it, you know it's hard to make that uh, correlation. Uh, but in terms of you know our so-called melting pot, um, if you want to look at the Arab Muslim community in Detroit, uh, in the Detroit Dearborn, Michigan area. It's a very cohesive community. There's a lot of people that speak Arabic. There are a lot of shops that have, uh, you know, use the Arabic language uh, on their signage. Uh, there are mosques. There are, are churches. Uh, there's the Arab American National Museum. Um, it's a very organized um, community. It's fairly integrated with American life. I mean, the the uh, Arab American students in high schools play on the football team. There was a documentary movie made about that. Um, 
I think Arab Americans and Arab Muslims or Muslim Americans are much more integrated into American society in terms of um, jobs. Uh, you know, they have a high level, a high standard of, of living, um, a high level of income, and uh, many are educated with uh, graduate degrees. There are many uh, doctors, lawyers, engineers, business people, whether you're talking about Arabs or uh, Iranians. Uh, this is all the Muslim population in the United States. Uh, primarily, uh, and so they're they're very well integrated in France. It's um, it's a tricky situation. I Means France was at war with Algeria for six years. Yes, I've been thinking uh, about that, but it's not the yeah. same situation now. But yes, you were saying. Yeah, and so uh, there are you know the French were had colonized North Africa. Of course, uh, they only left Morocco in 1954. Uh, they reluctantly let go of uh, of Algeria after a, a long war. Um, in the early 60s, um, you know, and, and yet um, many of many North Africans uh, still are, you know, French is their is their second language. Um, French culture and language has a strong um, presence all over North Africa, and so these um, is that my family, my Moroccan family, left Morocco and after World War One and went to France. And so I have family members all over France, in Lyon, in Paris, and in the south, in Nice. And they are, French became their first language, and Arabic became their second language. Um, and the level to which they can get integrated really depends on whether there's a glass ceiling. And I yes. know in the Paris area, many um, younger Muslims, the ones who are susceptible to becoming radicalized, feel that they don't have access to the jobs that they want. Uh, they can get the education because education is pretty much free. Uh, but then, you know, what kind of work are they going to, where are they going to get hired? And so uh, there is some integration. You know, the issue of racism in France is, is somewhat different from what it is in uh, the United States historically. You know, um, in the uh, 40s and 50s, a lot of uh, uh, African Americans uh, left and went to France where they felt much more accepted. Right. Um, Richard Wright, the the novelist, and uh, James Baldwin being only two of the most famous. Jo- Josephine Baker being another example. Nina Simone, a lot of them. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot of them right. wound up there, um, and uh, so they felt they felt more accepted. An American black in France and Paris was um, something different for the French, and I, I have to say that the North Africans, Moroccans, Algerians, Tunisians. Um, in France, are uh, I think they're somewhat treated the way, uh, unfortunately, Mexicans were treated in California up until maybe 20 years ago. I think today there's a greater level of acceptance and integration. We still have racism in California against uh, Mexican Americans, but I don't think it's as it's as remarkable as it was, you know, in previous generations. Do you? I don't think it is, and I think as they're more involved in the political. Particip- in the whole political process, I think that there will uh, that would sort of perhaps take care of the rest of it. Sort of the the Spike Lee talked about the the um, the, the entertainment sector, and I mean that might be the last <laughs> bastion. But I think in so many other arenas, I think that is a, an irreversible uh, amassing of of clout that's dissipating that um, 
that discrimination. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Jordan El Grobli. He's the executive director of the Marcaz, the Arts Center for the Greater Middle East in Los Angeles, here on Ask a Leader, KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, streaming on the web at KUCI.org. We're talking about and taking stock of the attacks on not just Paris, but Beirut and Syria, Baghdad. I mean, it's it's quite uh, it, it's an extensive string. Some of them coordinated, some of them that should be drawing our attention so we understand what's going on. And I, as we're talking about this coverage, I I started hearing it, but it's been carried with from more and more platforms now. The notion that we should not turn away these refugees. They are, after all, fleeing the violence in their own countries that was perpetrated in Paris and other places. So I'm. It's it's get that message is now getting sent around more and more places, which is a sort of pairing. Have you noticed, Jordan, with the the kind of the sort of simplistic, you know, we don't want them here kind of pronouncements. Right. Well, actually, you know, the so-called Islamic State actors. Uh, are a messianic Muslim group. They're a bunch of extremists, whether you want to call them jihadis or insurgents or lunatics. They, uh, their, their goal is to create this uh, caliphate and to uh, engender a, a war between Muslims and everybody else. And so the, the faster we get to, to that, the happier they are. And so they are, in, in some ways, bedfellows now with the far-right uh, elements in France, the National Party, uh, Marine Le Pen and um, and uh, you know conservative uh, the conservative tendency here in the United States, and so what what they want what what the the so-called Islamic State actors want is for our societies to to treat all Muslims like a fifth column, to be suspicious of our Muslim neighbors of our Arab friends, um, and you know in the United States most people the majority of Americans don't even know anybody who's Muslim. That was uh, ascertained a few years ago with the Pew survey. Um, and so, um, you know, I, that's one of the reasons why, you know, I think that uh, the Marcaz, which is a, a cultural arts center, is a, is a good thing for the L.A. area because that's a place where you can go and meet people who happen to be from the Middle East or happen to be Muslim. And uh, you can participate in a conversation. And, and during these difficult times when there are these attacks, um, just like last year, last summer, when there was the war between Israel and Gaza, people have a, a, a greater need to be able to encounter others who are concerned about what's going on and have these, you know, sort of in-depth conversations, often with experts present, um, to get to the to the root of what's going on to, for greater understanding. Um, but what we don't want to see happen uh, in France or here is um, the sort of separation. Uh, this sort of dichotomy, uh, because, you know, after uh, an attack like 9-11 or the Paris attacks, uh, what happens often is that we, we become polarized and uh, by fear, and it becomes a very, you know, black and white situation. As George W. Bush said, you're either with us or you're against us. And that's, that's what, um, you know, officials want us. They want us to be easier to control and divide. And so it's, it's, it's ISIS, the Islamic State, the so-called Islamic State, against the rest of us. And, frankly, that's what they want. Um, but they're, they're, honestly, a relatively um, weak group. Uh, they can't, um, you know, attack everywhere at all times. Uh, I don't think that they're going to, to last. 
but um, you know the the question is uh, how are we going to conduct ourselves and you know the French are all riled up. There was a woman who was interviewed who runs a cafe in Paris a couple of days after the attacks uh, on Sunday. She was saying we don't we're afraid we hear a noise we duck you know we we want to see soldiers in the street to feel more secure. Well, is France going to become a police state? I mean, the city of Paris was always you know, the most open, uh, free place uh, where artists and writers could go and, you know, where you could see any kind of a show. Um, people from all over the world live there. It's a very integrated, mixed um, capital city. And so, you know, you don't want to see, um, you know, boots on the ground in Paris. Uh, that would be a sea change, wouldn't it? I mean, it would just suggest that we're now living in this, you know, police state. Well, it does provide all the fodder that the propaganda machine that ISIL is generating with utter sophisticated, with all platforms that they're using, that, uh, you know, the missiles being fired at uh, what were considered one stronghold for them in Raqqa, Iraq, I'm sorry, Raqqa, Syria. But um, the, so all, all of this firepower, all the vitriol, it's all sort of drumming up uh, more legitimacy for this guerrilla Entourage, this guerrilla state. So it, it's a, it's a bit of a problem. I, I want to get ahead of the kind of. I, I heard a, an interview yesterday of Marine Le Pen, uh, the rightist uh, nationalist leader in France, who's she's making inroads with a popularity in the French. Uh, political process. And I, I want to get ahead of the kind of allure that she was trying to venture out with in the interview and give people a, a chance to digest some grounded uh, writings about this while we're still together here. Um, you were talking uh, before this show, uh, around the previous preparation, last show, Michael Wolf's Why Islam website. That's one place that you've directed people to get greater understanding. Yeah, and then I would also just suggest uh, looking at this group called Muslims for Progressive Values. Their website is mpv, as in Victor, mpvusa.org. Um, and um, look under their education um, uh, section. Uh, uh, there's a lot of clarification available there. And, they, they, you know, they also have, I think, a monthly Quran study that's open to everyone. Um, what is Islam? What does uh, Islam uh, really preach? What is, uh, you know, what is um, to be understood by this group, the so-called Islamic State? Um, I would direct people to look at the letter uh, that was sent by 120 Muslim scholars. Uh, it was published, at least the executive summary was published, um, on the Huffington Post website on September 24th. It was updated on the 25th. The headline is, Muslim Scholars Release Open Letter to Islamic State. And that uh, is a great um, primer to get started if you're just getting into this uh, conversation. There are additional ones you can jo uh, join in here on the uh, posting this list. Um, I saw from The Nation, the contributor, Lydia Wilson, she's with now currently with the Oxford University Center for the Resolution of Intractable Conflict. Her article uh, is, quote, it's entitled, I Interviewed ISIS fighters and this is what I learned that was incredibly instructive I think um, it that that is helpful there is also Abdel Bari Atwan he was interviewed on Democracy Now this morning he's the author of the Islamic State the Digi Digital Caliphate and he's uh, giving us uh, oh, it was really insightful how how 
how sophisticated Isil is in and how everything is playing into the hands. And he also he's going to give there was in the Democratic debate last week uh, uh, in Iowa last Saturday night, a, a, some kind of intellectually honest talk about what are some of the root causes of some of this uh this guerrilla warfare being waged. So it's, uh, do you have any more things to add to our reading list for listeners? Sure, I would encourage people to look up a uh, scholar at UC Davis named Karima Benoon. Her book is called Your Fatwa Doesn't Apply Here. Ah. And she's got a lot of current articles. Uh, I would look up some of the work of Reza Aslan. Yes. Uh, of course, he's on our advisory board. Also, Juan Cole. Uh, Juan Cole is a probably one of the best American Middle Eastern experts. He's always, uh, you know, up on latest, uh, lived in the Middle East. Uh, Leslie Coburn is another, as a journalist, uh, uh, her work is, uh, you can look that up. Um, yeah, there's a lot of good people out there that are clarifying a lot of this. Very much so. So that I, I think when we have this clarity, then we can sort of head off the kind of rhetoric that Marine Le Pen has been using, and it's going to be used not She's just... She's a xenophobe, and totally. you know, her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, was, you know, the head of the party back yeah. in the 80s and early 90s. That they, but, you know, the National Party uh, is only... The National Front in France has, has never had more than 10, 15 percent of the vote. I mean, now they're probably going to get 20 percent, you know, but the, the country's drifting to the right. And what's happening in France now is what, what happened to us in, after 9-11, uh, um, which I never thought I would see that with France. Uh, you know, they, when I was living there full time in, in, in the 80s, uh, there, were, there was a string of terrorist bombings happening, uh, you know, several times a year. And the French always treated them as a high crime. They treated them as criminals. They didn't change their laws. They didn't have a USA Patriot Act. They didn't, you know, as far as we knew, they didn't, they didn't, civil, in other words, civil liberties were not uh, affected in any obvious way. And now that's the discussion that's, that's happening in France is we want higher security, but what are we going to lose in terms of our civil liberties? Well, and what, what does the higher security pick up and with uh, this it, n- none of the people that uh, said that they've known uh, the ones that are interviewed uh, didn't rec- they did not realize that some of the perpetrators were people that were moving in and around and very uh, you know ve- with very secular kind of profiles so they were you know, it's this increased security really I don't think it, it, it has its limited utility and in terms of and as a trade-off to a great deal of liberty taken so I I, I yeah. want it I know um, there's so much uh, I'm going to ask what we can return to some of the unfinished topics from today. I want you to to give us some idea of what's going on at the Marcaz Center in L.A. You're on, uh, you're down at the what Mid Wilshire District. You're on 5998 West Pico Boulevard. Is there are there right. any yeah, new come together? from LACMA. And, uh, what's coming up this week? We have uh, tomorrow uh, tomorrow night. Uh, uh, Zoe Dolan, who is a, a criminal defense attorney who's defended some of the uh, accused uh, 9-11 terrorists in Guantanamo. Um, oh, wow. She's going to be speaking at the center tomorrow night um, about, about these issues. And then um, Friday night, we're, we're going to have an evening of levity. We have our 10th anniversary celebration of our Sultans of Satire comedy show. And it's Arab and Iranian comedians, and I'm sure they're going to be talking about all of this as well, but you know, from the satirical perspective. Um, and uh, we'll be back uh, after Thanksgiving with a, a whole evening about Iraq and popular voices of struggle in Iraq that you don't normally get to hear about here in the U.S. with a new book out by um, someone named Ali Issa. 
And uh, also the group Muslims for Progressive Values will have a, an open mic night there. Um, and, uh, you know, just there's, there's constantly something going on. I encourage people to, to come by. Um, well, well, we have a library they can use that if they want to sit down and study. They can um, talk to some of the Arab and uh, Iranian and, and Muslim uh, folks who are coming through. Okay, so um, are there? I know some people are going to be wanting to know: Will there be any other programs paired into this uh, ambitious schedule to address the uh, the open wound of this the, so many attacks in the last very short time? Yes, we're going to announce shortly a public forum uh, discussing uh, the issues of the attacks, the so-called Islamic State, Islam, uh, and where do we go from here. And that that should be announced shortly. The website is is the Markaz.org. Markaz is spelled M-A-R-K-A-Z, and it just means uh, the center in Arabic. Well, Jordan, you were the one to talk to today. Uh, turning it around so short a time after your just recent last week appearance, I'm so glad to have the the gravity uh, and the breadth of your experience and your insight come today, so that we we can get a handle on what's going on, what we can uh, we can do on our own level from uh, to to get a better understanding to uh, more literacy as I, I want to say too often on this uh, ask a leader. So I thank you so much for being on the oh, show today. Thank you. And we will I'll post those um, the Arkaz uh, details, you know, how people can get more information so they can find out what's going on. Um, I'm, I'm hoping uh, to get up there shortly myself up there in L.A. and, and see what you're all about, because you've been doing such good work for it's been over a decade and a half now, isn't it? Yes. And well, we'll come down to Orange County again soon. We have programs there every two, three months. So um, all right. You know, so we'll, I'll let you know. All right. So be in advance of that, uh, that forum, I want you to be right back on this show and we'll talk about what will be coming so that there's ample opportunity for people to to bridge the uh, to get in on the satellite of the Marcos Center. Sure. OK. That'd thanks again. Thank Ta- you. All the best. All right. Inshallah. I'll be right back with our next guest, Travis Kendrick. We're going to talk about the budding thespians over there at Cloverdale Elementary. Stay tuned. That was Beirut. Uh, El Khalifi is the, um, the 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 ensemble there. Welcome back to Ask a Leader. My the remainder of the show we're going to devote to the the wonderful work that Travis Kendrick has been doing in at UCI. He is a third year Masters of Fine Arts directing candidate at UCI. His theater debut was at the age of five. He played the title role in Peter Rabbit. Originally from Virginia, he completed his Bachelor's of Fine Arts in Musical Theater at Point Park University in Pittsburgh. Before grad school, he worked professionally as an actor, director, choreographer, and teaching artist around the country. He is so well-equipped to do what he's going to talk about today. So he's directed... uh, choreographed um, and wrote the he's wrote written the book uh, and lyrics for a new children's musical Dottie Dot which premiered in the Big Apple at the Secret Theater hopefully not too big a secret people know how to get there to the performance <laughs> Travis will add to his portfolio direction of Evita at UCI's main stage at the Barclay Theater but for today 
He appears on this show to present to us his bounty of young talent through the support of UCI's Illumination Program. Welcome back to Thank Ask you. a Leader, Travis. Thanks, so good to be here. So, Travis, the UCI Illuminations Project, the Irvine Public Schools Foundation, and a creative guy like you walk into a bar. No, <laughs> no joke. Now, uh, you've been working with uh, third to sixth graders at Cloverdale, Thespians in the Making. How did you put this together? Part of our third year curriculum is to do community-based work. Um, and one of my passions is getting young people involved in the arts. And so I um, reached out to um, a contact at IPSF, the Irvine Public School Foundation. And uh, that was with the help of Jane Page, my mentor, the head of directing over at the School of Drama. Ever the enterprising, creative angle on this campus. Pro <laughs> professor of the Year last year. It's true for the whole campus. Pretty exciting. That's right. Um, and of course, I found the right school. Um, I was able to find Culverdale Elementary School. Um, a very uniquely diverse school here in Irvine, um, amazing perspectives, amazing life experience from these merely, you know, third through sixth grade students. They already have so much life behind them that they want to talk about. Um, and so I have working with 15 kids ranging from third through sixth grade, um, and they've just been amazing and game and something cool um, in artistry for young people is that they're not old enough to really be guarded yet. They're not old enough to check themselves. So they're very open, very bold in the things that they want to say oh. and the choices they make, which is so inspiring to oh. artists um, who are a little bit older than that. <laughs> it's certainly inspiring to me. And uh, Cloverdale is not your typical Irvine Unified School District campus. So let's just talk a little bit about what's sure. the profile there. It's true. Um, I am so glad that I met uh, Principal Yetzer over there. Um, and he is so passionate um, as the principal about the school. And I think that's so integral to um, to you know your leader of a school and he's amazing and he shared um, and I don't want to have specific quotes but it's something like over half the population of Culverdale turns over in any given year so there's a lot of new people in this community from year to year and so even the folks that remain from kindergarten through sixth grade let's say they're interacting with you know a half new population every year so the unique thing about them is that they find community really quickly um, and it makes me think of what we do in the theater when we put on a play. You bring oh. these people together that have never met before. They're working so closely on a theatrical project and you become very, very close very, very quickly. Um, and so it's it's a similar community out of perhaps necessity or um, or what have you. So do they know you were Peter Rabbit? So, <laughs> I haven't told them yet. Should oh, I tell them? But I'm just thinking you, but you remembered how formative an experience that was. And so you are Absolutely. watching things take shape under mm -hmm. your very nose. Well, let's tell, tell us then about this rarefied creative process and what you've been involved, teasing out particular material <laughs> from the elementary students. You're having them write, sing, dance, the puppets Absolutely. are, tell us, uh, you know, we're not going to use any personal identifiers, but tell us what about the process in general. Sure. We'll get some specific stories after that. Absolutely. Um, so we're using kind of um, a varying, varying techniques to kind of make this art different than you get a script, you find a director, you find actors, and then you do the play. Um, this is all being created kind of from scratch. It's so using different techniques, a lot of improv. I'm asking a lot of questions that yes. um, call for a non-literal response, something to the effect of what makes you special? Answer how you will on a piece of paper, draw, write a poem, you know, Let recite your puppet a piece. Talk. Let your puppet talk. Yeah. What makes you special? That's where you started. That's that was of one that, of the first questions that abstract. I asked. And then mm -hmm. you moved into some, what is home? 
Yeah. Or some other. What are Absolutely. The that was one of, I think, one of the, um, what's the right word? Not tipping point, but one of the big uh, deepenings that we had um, while working together. The precipice. Something, yeah, something, <laughs> the precipice. Um, something clicked that day um, because no one drew a picture of a house and said this is home though that would have been completely acceptable because obviously the structure itself is so important but yeah they answered in such abstract ways as um in my daddy's arms or home is next to my cousin's grave was one young lady's response which was yeah um you know there was no prompting for me i i left it amazingly open-ended um but that's where their brains went and what a beautiful thing to be allowed to think abstractly and creatively and in a safe space. One of the um, young ladies um, said last class, they hearkened back to, I think I, I must have had the foresight on the first day to, um, thanks to Jane Page and you know some of the training I've gotten here, um, I must have had the foresight to say, you know, my most important goal is that this is a safe space and that anything that we say in here is safe you know we don't take it out and gossip about it or you know spread anything unnecessarily but anything shared here we can all kind of keep it safe and i think that we've been able to create all of us the safe um and understanding world and so then a couple weeks into the project they were able to share so such a deep part of themselves oh my goodness for those of you who've just joined us my guest is travis kendrick he's a Masters of Fine Arts candidate here at UCI and working through the Eliminations Project, which has been going in all directions now for the last, I think, about a half year, I should say, uh, here on Ask a Leader, the the radio program you're listening to, uh, KUCI 80.9 FM in Irvine, and on the web at KUCI.org. We're talking about this uh, project, that, and the reason why Travis is here is because there is going to be a per, several performances staged at the end of the week. We'll give you particulars in just a little bit. But uh, so uh, do you have any you've given us some examples, but I mean, any sort of stories that are now some characterizations in, that are full, full blown now that you're going to be presenting? Tease the audience. <laughs> sure. Um, when we're doing our what makes a special exercise, there was one girl that very fervently and loudly spoke to Hallie. I don't think I'm special. I don't think I'm special at all. Uh, maybe I'm not special. She said it over and over again. Really? And so this was like a, a nervous tick? No. Um, just, just like outburst. M- perhaps just her own insecurity. She wanted to be bold about how she didn't know yet what made her special. And so we've used her as the lead character in this skit, if you will, where she continues to ask the whole time. And then um, we hearken back to one of the other stories she shared kind of in a flashback moment. What was that? Um, where when she was five, she... Um, her mother gave her a snow globe with an angel inside mm-hmm. and she prompted her. She's like, you know, do you see what this is? And she's like, yeah, it's an angel. She's like, do you know why? And she's like, no, mom, why? And her mom shared, she was like, because you're the angel in my life. You know, you're the angel in my eyes. So, you know, this idea of like, as a daughter, what make part of what makes her special is that she's the most special thing to her mother. All things right. like that. Well, I didn't know we were going to bring out merch here. <laughs> so, um, then, so that's sort of the thread. Everybody's working with that, and they're they're putting things down now. They've been writing, they're they're choreogra- they're choreographing mm-hmm. their pieces. So uh, some other uh, some other stories, likers. I mean, you're building it around her, but some other. Well, that's components. just one piece, you know. That she happens to be, if you will, in a traditional play, like the lead of this one little snippet. But the cool thing about this work is that they're just different vignettes over and over and over again, where there's interweaving, and so. 
the unique thing about um, these children is that they're kind of playing themselves for most of the scenes. Right, because you do what um, it's like writing down. You do right, what you know kind best. Of like they're they're giving, they're telling an interview about themselves or something, kind of um, autobiographical in that sense. Um, but they, um, I guess, are a heightened version of themselves, if you will. So we've sure. created a character from a very specific truth of this young lady on the, the girl who doesn't think she's special yet and then learning that she is. Um, there was another um, moment where a young girl wanted to share a song and it's a song called Opportunity from the new Annie movie. I think Sia came up with it. Um, she certainly has a cover of it. Um, and she wanted to share it. And it's all about finding your own spotlight, finding your light inside and letting that shine. There are a lot of eyes glaring at you all the time, but being able to hold true to your own Self in your own light, what yeah. makes you a different version of what makes you special in a way. Um, and she wanted to share it. Nothing, no result in mind. Um, and the kids got so excited about it that they're like, we need this in our show. And so they came up with the idea of each having their own light um, and wanting to work with flashlights. And I said, I can get you flashlights. And so they, um, with my guidance, but certainly not my heavy input, um, have come up with this beautiful um, flashlight movement or dance to this girl singing in solo voice um, about this opportunity to rise to the occasion to 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 share what you know your own light um, and so this like this beautiful moment of they are t totally coming up with everything on their own um, it's kind of like a consensus in that we all have to agree there's not one leader different people take turns are they good at that leading they are and what's interesting is that I knew the sixth graders would maybe have some expertise cloud. being the yeah. leaders of the school being the oldest grade but it's been so surprising how well everyone is able to share leadership and mm. even the third graders who are such beautiful and it you know uh, open and you know advanced third graders that they kind of have you know uh, they're wise beyond their years um, are able to also lead in a very different way well the, fine arts makes their people wiser yeah I mean, in budding and, Funny. Absolutely. Embracing that creativity is is really so much connected to like finding your own voice and being able to to be able to speak it, you know, to actually share. So, Travis, you were talking about uh, these are a couple of girls. And so are the boys stepping up too? or and is it are what's the what's the breakdown? The ratio is 14 to one. We have one boy. Only um, one. Why? In, a, in sixth grade. I'm not sure the specifics. I know it just happened to work out like that. Wasn't a soccer practice. It wasn't foot, soccer football practice, practice or uh, NBA uh, sports uh, product endorsement. Absolutely not, because it's certainly. They, I'm sure that girls play all those sports as well. Um, they do. That's what I mean. But I wonder what that was all. Yeah. Um, huh. I know that the arts tend to be an easier in for girls. I don't know. That's our own thing that we've done as a culture that limits. I think. Um, and being a, a male who was interested in the arts so early on, I know that yes. there is potential for some sort of clash or gender. Um, gender clash there where it's for whatever reason more acceptable for girls to paint and sing and dance than boys at a young age and what's beautiful about this specific example of a young man is um, how open he is and when he shared his story about what is home he shared a very specific story about how he's new this year only you know a couple months into Culverdale um, and he is missing his home um, up north of LA and sharing that his um, grandfather passed away several years ago and they usually on his birthday go to 
um, the grave that is up, you know, where he used to live. And so this is the first year that he was away from that ceremony, that ritual of going every year. And it really shook him up. And this idea of home is something that he's having to readjust because it feels like home is far away. But some, you know, so it's it's beautiful. And I just remember distinctly on this Mm -hmm. day of what is home that he as a male with 14 other girls from third through sixth grade, you know, this is like prime time of when you could start to find insecurities in your life like when you're heading into sixth grade um he unapologetically like cried like not wiping away the tears N- there was no ashamed nature to it and I, th- I just think that that defies some of our you know societal norms or what is quote-unquote expected in a very beautiful way um, well, you made it safe for everybody then they could all contribute on a whole lot of levels and, mm. and respond to somebody's contribution absolutely uh, matching the grant with the same solemnity so mm-hmm. you so you've seen the whole range of emotion then whole solemnity what uh, uh, are, are there any sarcastic uh, aspects <laughs> ab- that oh, they yes. manifest I find our third graders to be particularly sassy yeah um, in a very beautiful way just so much personality which I think it's their opportunity they, they you know what little they know we're all exploring and figuring it out. But when you think theater, you think, oh, I get to express myself in a big and bold way. And I think they're really taking advantage of that. Are there any siblings in that? There ensemble? are the the boy. And um, so a third grade girl and our sixth grade boy, our brother and sister, which is a really beautiful thing. Oh, OK. Yeah. So and I don't, now do the girls come in from pre-dance uh, studio experience, any of them? Or that, do that sort of I think launch we, them into this, pro- this project? I think sorts? maybe a couple have some prior theater experience, but a lot of them are, this is their first kind of um, inundation into theater and um, th- their willingness to respond, even not knowing yet, you know, some of the, a, a lot about theater is right. really cool. Hungry? for this creative pursuit. Mm-hmm. I guess you can see them. Not just with their tummies uh, growling and <laughs> their their mouths salivating to Absolutely. participate in this. So uh, where are these students, do you see them taking this glory they're achieving now? Pardon? Where are they taking this glory? Ah, so that we get to do public performances at um, their campus, at Culverdale um, Elementary, and those are in the morning um, this Friday, November 20th. Um, and I can send those exact dates to you. I don't know offhand, but they're all in the morning, like nine o'clock to 10.30 or so in the morning. Um, but they're opening it up to the public. So certainly parents or outside guests from the community are welcome to attend. Public's but invited. The, yeah. <laughs> yep, you're invited. Um, but the big, the big exciting news is they get to come on campus here at UCI to perform for the UCI and the Irvine you know, community at large. And that's this weekend, November 20th. Um, at 7 p.m. That's a Friday. And then November 21st, Saturday at 1 p.m. And that's in Studio 5, which is over on the Arts Campus in the William Gillespie Performance Studios building. So if you're familiar with the Mesa parking structure, right when you cross that bridge from Mesa parking, it's the first building on your left. Okay. So everybody can find that. We know where that structure is. We know where that bridge is. <laughs> and we know where left is still. We'll presumably. have signs. We'll make sure so you get there. That'll be great. And um, it's the, the number to call. If people want to arrange in advance, because there are, it's an intimate setting there, but you, everybody who wants to come will be accommodated. Absolutely. I, I'm sure of it, but we you can, can call 824-8976. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's, uh, this is Travis Kendrick's Enterprise. It's uh, What's the title for this? The title is Our Stories. Um, 
we came up with it like a math problem. We decided um, in this collaboration idea that it's my story plus your story equals our stories. Oh, goodness. Goodness. <laughs> and um, will this torch you've carried, will this be passed off to another uh, MFA candidate after you are finished? I hope so. One of the things with making community-based work that I'm really passionate about is not leaving the community hanging after it, you know. Uh, it's not just a one-off and then you leave. So I'm interested in finding the right folks, um, whether on the graduate level, I've spoken to a couple of folks that may be interested, or on the undergraduate level or advanced undergrads, um, finding someone or a group of someones to um, to to carry that torch and moving into later in the year, perhaps um, continuing a program, and maybe each quarter each you know each time we come into the school it could be a slightly different version of artistic um, exploration and creativity but I think that that would there's no reason to stop now and IPSF has been so great about this being our first our first program of sorts like this and it definitely you know we hope that it's not the last okay so probably what the Friday morning performance and the ones following the on the campus and the the uh incentive the the wish for the Irvine Public School Foundation to institutionalize something wonderful along with the illuminations at UCI mm -hmm. institutionalizing something like this in the community it yeah. may They've have a so, good chance of continuing yeah so great to have that illumination supports so that we can offer this program for free to not only the students participating but free performances they're free yeah so uh, now the best way to get tickets though I, I gave a number but is it the URL illuminations.uci.edu forward slash events is that probably the best Absolutely. way to Absolutely you can click on the events and scroll that. down and find the green poster for our stories and click on the link depending on which day you want to come they have two separate links for each of the performances Okay well I I want you I know they're oh, I can I would love to see them get <laughs> feel that first round of applause but mm -hmm. I want you to go back to them and tell them that on your radio show the the radio audience and the host and all we're applauding their good work. Just mm -hmm. bring take that back to them at the I next will. rehearsal, and <laughs> so and I applaud you for for doing this, putting every resource you have together to give, give to to pay it forward from what you got when you were a, a young budding thespian yourself. So, mm -hmm. Travis Kendrick, UCI Masters of Fine Arts Direction candidate, uh, thank you for coming on the show. Good luck with Evita too, by the way. That's thank you. We got to plug that as well. But uh, <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank today. you. It's a pleasure. All right. Well, we are going to close here. That's my wrap. I'm planning on covering the upcoming international panel on climate change. That was the other big deal that was going to be happening in Paris. It's happening a couple of weeks at the very end of this month. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. <laughs> Koagi agi borai e tikoli o elao Tikango ao elao Kurai no mao enao Hidai tabe sao hi Tabe tai nao mao